Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design. We're thrilled again to be joined by Dr. Sue Thomas, founder of Life Nature Technology. She's a writer and academic. And Sue, it's lovely to have you back. Thank you. For those who are listening, I'd encourage you to search um, the interview that I did with Sue last year. Uh, I'll put a link on the journalofbiophilicdesign.com website, so be sure to check it out. Um, Sue, as a recap for those who haven't heard you uh, before, uh, obviously they're going to check you out now, um, but um, can you just give us a little bit about a bit of background about what you do, and then maybe a little bit about this uh, fantastic phrase that you use, this techno-biophilia, uh, please. Okay, so I've been working with technology um, since the early 90s um, and working with writers using technology and I'm a writer myself so um, I've ended up writing a lot about technology. I've written um, novels and a lot of non-fiction as well um, and in more recent years I'd always written about cyberspace and cyberspace as, as a real place. But in recent years, I began to realize that there were lots of similarities between the way we think about cyberspace and the way we think about natural space. Mm -hmm. um, so I started researching that and it ended up being a long project. And a lot of it was about um, the way we use metaphors of nature in cyberspace. You know, we talk about clouds and streams and webs and um, um, uh, spiders. And, you know, there are lots and lots of these metaphors. And I started to wonder why. So took me eight years to research a book looking into all the possible reasons um, and eventually when I discovered biophilia um, I leaned towards the understanding that what I was really looking at was that we were using our own biophilic impulses to try and understand this very new world of cyberspace through the lens of nature um, when you're in a completely abstract online space, you have to get a grounding and get a sense of where you are. Mm -hmm. And the way that humans have often done that is by thinking of it in terms of it is like. So it feels like a cloud. It feels like I'm um, in some kind of wilderness, um, as if I'm navigating around. And you start to understand how people relate to cyberspace as if it were a natural space. That's where I, I really um, got to by the end of my book, Technobiophilia, Nature and Cyberspace. The other thing I realized at that point was that actually, because biophilia makes you feel good, that having this experience, a biophilic experience in cyberspace had a similar effect. Um, and that's where I really started um, finding out more and more about how it is that nature or images of nature or words of nature can bring well-being to your digital life. So I kind of condensed that, produced a, a similar but much shorter and simpler study called Nature and Wellbeing in the Digital Age. And that's a practical guide to implementing a lot of the work that I'd done with the larger book, Technobiophilia. 
Well, that sounds really great. I'll put a link, if that's okay, Sue, on the website, journalbyphilipdesign.com, to the directly to that book that you mentioned there. So that would be really great. Um, obviously, with everybody being in lockdown, and that's not just in the UK, it's in America, it's everywhere, it's in Africa and in India and every, anywhere where, where, you're, where you're listening to this at the moment, listeners. Um, but technobiophilia has really come into its own, hasn't it? Um, because people, I mean, people have been able to go out for their daily walk, um, what they have over here anyway. And, um, but if you haven't, then, you know, looking at nature or accessing nature or engaging, you know, outside your four walls, you know, te technology has really come into its own. Um, I mean, can you explain what form you, you've seen that taking? Uh, well, um... The, the kind of simplest de definition of technobiophilia is that you're, if you're familiar with biophilia, which is our, our genetic love of nature, if you like, and is actually accessing that, but through technology. And so when I first wrote Technobiophilia, it was published in 2013, that seemed a bit of a, a weird, strange idea that people might not connect with at all. But what we've seen in the last year is that actually um, many people are not only appreciating nature by going out on their government sanctioned walk every day, um, but also in their own living rooms through the TV, through computers, through virtual reality, even through Zoom. Um, and so I can say more about that, but that's how technobiophilia has actually just become part of people's daily lives because they are constantly accessing nature through technology um and that's exactly what technobiophilia is yeah and i mean how has it helped people i mean how how do you see it um hey how do you see it helping people well when i was doing my research for the, the book um, I came across a lot of interesting environmental science data yeah. about how um a great deal of research was done in the kind of late 70s, 80s, 90s, nothing to do with technology, but about how um, contact with nature can slow your heart rate, reduce your blood pressure, reduce stress, and generally support well-being in, in a measurable way quite often. Yeah. Um, and then I discovered that there were the beginnings of some experiments to see whether or not the same would happen if you were in a virtual reality nature environment um, or simply watching virtual watching nature on TV mm -hmm. um, or perhaps even playing a game and a video game and encountering nature that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was quite easy to kind of transfer the, the results that had been had with analog nature, if you like, mm -hmm. towards the results that people were having with virtual nature. Um, and that's continued ever since. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we are seeing that people are feeling much more relaxed if they sit at home and watch nature on a TV or if they encounter it in a game. Um, I don't think there's been any specific research done during COVID about this, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly true. We already know that those kinds of activities through technology can also lower your heart rate, your blood pressure, etc., um, and generally make people feel less stressed. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you're saying there's not been any uh, research been done, but I think 
actually, if, if someone eventually gets around to collating feedback that's been shown on, like, say, for instance, Twitter or LinkedIn, where people are saying, oh, I got out today, I did this, and the discussions that have been had, um, there's a lot of uh, personal written evidence to show how people's lives have changed, and that's all walks of life, whether they're CEOs or whether they're, you know, uh, logistics people, you know, people who have used to being out and about or not, um, you know, just yeah how they're how they're using technology so there's probably evidence out there for such as someone to collate anyway and i think that would be that would be yeah. quite interesting and um, yes i definitely think in the work environment what, yeah. what i was thinking of when i said there wasn't much research was i don't know if they've researched people in their homes that That's would be yeah. more difficult yeah. to do but as you say there's loads of anecdotal evidence and it is quite fascinating how the sale of um, all kinds of nature related products, whether it's bikes um, or walking or perhaps even camping, binoculars, all kinds of things like that. People yeah. taking up photography yeah. has obviously hugely increased and people then reporting, as you say, maybe on Facebook or Instagram about what a great experience they've had. Um, so there's no doubt at all that that the COVID period has connected some people to nature. As you say, it's not the same in every part of the world. One of the important aspects of technobiophilia is about awareness and mindfulness. And that's one thing that I try and suggest strongly that people um, consciously do. Yeah. Um, so people are already consciously doing it when they walk out in nature, much more than I think they did before, is to be mindful of their surroundings. Um, and if you're only allowed to go a little way in your local area, you have to get more out of it by being even more mindful. True. Yeah. And um, we see similar things happening online. And one way in which it seems to be happening is in terms of houseplants. The sales of houseplants has really uh, increased massively when people are able to get them because obviously the garden centers have been closed quite a lot as well. But many people, and you can see this on Instagram, are learning how to tend their houseplants, look after them, grow new ones. And they're talking about this on Instagram and sharing information there. And you can often see it in people's screens in zoom calls like this one <laughs> yeah. absolutely uh, yeah everybody has a plant in the back um there's a twitter feed called room raters i don't know if you've seen that no i haven't no uh, room raters will pick up bits of video from zoom calls or people talking on tv in in their own homes and they will rate the background of their Zoom call. And one of the things they always look for is houseplants, <laughs> also books. <laughs> um, so houseplants have become a thing. And that's something I did think about recently in terms of Zoom calls, because um, people are often very careful to make sure they've got houseplants in the background, as you and I both have. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking that one thing I've heard a lot of people complain about is how exhausting it is to be working on Zoom for hours every day yeah. um, or any kind of video platform. And I thought, actually, what about why not just having have plants on your own desk so that as I'm looking at you, 
I should be able to see a display of plants behind my laptop, my computer, so that I can actually enjoy them. Um, you won't be able to see them, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because it's for my well-being um, to have plants arranged on my desk, to be able to be close to them and pick up their aromas and perhaps even stroke their leaves now and again um, and literally be connected to nature um, in a kind of invisible way. Um, so I, I've been um, talking about that quite a lot lately, about having a your own private garden on your desk that other people can't see, but you can. I think that's, enjoy that's it. a really good idea. Yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a view of nature which goes off and I've got a pathway that goes off when I was in Africa. I've, talk, I've spoken about it before, but it's, um, it goes off into hills. So it reminds me of when, you know, when I go back there is where I'm, where I'm heading for. And, um, you know, it's, it's right off in, you know, off in the middle of nowhere into the bush, but I've got that kind of, I've got a, I've got a virtual nature view if you want um in front of me and plus the house plants of course behind the screen because I remember you mentioned that when we spoke before about that and I thought oh, that's a good idea so yeah I've got I've got um the, the desk changes with the different size screens I've got but um but yeah I always got a plant or a or sort of natural stuff in view so that, that was a really great tip so so thanks yeah. for that um obviously when people are, are going back to work you know they might be going back on their daily commute or you know they're going to be back in their little cubicles or their four walls or whatever how can you how would you advise people to continue or even if they haven't started but how how you know what sort of couple of simple tips would you suggest people do during the day using the technology that they have access to if they can't get out or if they're working in a totally urban environment um how would you advise them to access biophilia on or you know through through the technology well i mean the first thing would be the the plants on the desk and perhaps yeah. even a picture if they're allowed a picture that as you have yeah. um that that's a kind of obvious thing there are other things in terms of um <clears throat> excuse me um connecting physically with nature mm -hmm. and that could be about objects that you have with you or in your drawer or on your desk so um i've got a, a wooden mouse um, a bamboo mouse, um, which means that every time I use it, I'm actually touching a, a natural um, material. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Another thing you could do is have your own little collection of maybe stones and shells. It sounds very twee, but actually they're very tactile, very nice to just hold in your hand, maybe turn around in your hand while you're on a Zoom call or while you're sitting back and thinking. And again, that physically connects you to the earth, to the natural world, is just having them with you um, in your pocket, or as I say, you could keep them in your desk drawer. Um, and then on your machine itself, there's a, an interesting question about what kind of pictures and images do you use as a screensaver? Um, I've looked into this before, and I found that certainly over 50% of people that I've encountered and surveyed have natural images as a screensaver, quite often a waterfall. Um, and often if you ask them why, they, they don't know, they just intuitively chose these pictures, maybe stock pictures, or maybe as, as you have your own picture that you took of a place that you love, um, and they will have it on their um, screensaver. So they can actually go into that space now and again. Um, and then lastly, I think if you really can't get out, 
and you need a break at some time, you could consider various kinds of um, simple ways to encounter nature online from simply looking at pictures. Mm -hmm. um, in Facebook, people are sharing pictures all the time. Um, or if you could go into a game like, um, and this may not be allowed, obviously, but a lot of games take place in very complex natural environments, um, whether it's something like Grand Theft Auto, which, you know, some of which is based in the city, but also there are a lot of mountain and um, beach adventures that you could get involved with. Um, and I think I mentioned last time we talked about Farmville, which is now quite an old game. Um, so maybe people don't play it so much anymore. But Farmville is or used to be on Facebook. Um, and it, you had your own little farm. It was all like cartoon, looked like the kind of cartoon design. But you could grow your own tomatoes and harvest them and wander around your own little farm and so on. And Farmville... I found that a lot of people are using that as a relaxation tool, mm -hmm. um, which surprised them because they didn't intend it that way. <laughs> so people who actually feel engaged with the idea of looking after their own tomatoes and watering them once a day or whatever, um, were deliberately doing that in order to relax. So these are things that you might well not be allowed to do at work in your cubicle. But if you are, consciously looking for them and engaging with them even for five or ten minutes should really help you to um, accommodate to this new kind of environment especially if you've been working at home before that's really yeah absolutely um you're saying about uh sort of games and things but um it's not really the same but you're saying about farms and um <laughs> i follow on instagram this is really i mean i it's quite sad to admit but actually it's having i'm justified now having spoken to you because <laughs> i follow i love alpacas you know all right yes <laughs> and, and i yeah, and I follow um, a few alpaca farms um, all around the world, you know, sort of from Australia and stuff, and just watching the little animals sort of canter around outside in the field and, yeah. and they put silly music behind it or whatever, but it's just, it brings so much joy and fun and just seeing obviously a different countryside and it's somewhere I've always wanted to go, for instance, like for instance, New Zealand, and, and it's a really positive experience for me to have. So, um, yeah, so I can see where you're you're coming from with that. Um, also, just as a, a thing for people who are listening, um, Sue mentions about using different images for screensavers. Um, on the Journal of Biophilicdesign.com, there's an image library, which as a gift to people, if people want to just drag and drop the images there, they'll, they can go, that they're res high res enough to go on on a desktop and there's there's sort of people pictures from the Eden Center and and there's waterfalls and things so people I mean I, please please if anyone's listening please go onto the website and you can download them for free so um I certainly will I'll do that thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay Sue thanks yeah. um and so what, what innovations are, are coming through that you're seeing that people are um can connect to nature through their devices well it's it's not really an innovation as such, but people are treating it as that, and that is these kind of live stream um, programs. When I say programs, it could be on TV, but more likely on um, on YouTube or Zoom or whatever, of 
people around the world, as you say, with the alpacas, just taking you to different places, um, which is something that a few people did before, but now lots and lots of people are learning how to do that. So it's an innovation for them um, and other people are discovering them and really enjoying them. So I was thinking when you talked about the alpacas, I live near to the New Forest um, in Hampshire and I sat at my desk in my office not so long ago and I watched about an hour and a half of a woman who works in the new forest just taking us round. Oh. This is my farm, these are my ponies, this is how we do this at this time of year and telling me about her completely different life to my life. Mm. Um, and there's lots of that. So that's an, an innovation, but it's something we could always do, but it's an innovation for a lot of people who never considered it before. Um, and it can take us anywhere in the world. Um, another um, innovation, which again is old, but people are discovering, are these fixed nature webcams. Um, and I've been writing quite a lot about those. Um, and they're very interesting because we're used to nature TV programs. We're used to David Attenborough um, and soft voices explaining things to us and turning nature into a kind of story that we can all consume. But if you watch an, an, a live eagle's nest um, set up by a national park in the USA, for example, you can see real life eagle style. Um, which is not always pretty. It's not always comprehensible. Um, sometimes it can be quite ghastly, particularly in terms of the kind of creatures they bring in to feed their chicks. <laughs> um, but it's reality in a way that TV reality isn't because it's storified for us. But if you sit and watch a webcam of the many, many different kinds of live cams, um, you will begin to understand the difference and again, relate to nature in a different way. Um, and I think in terms of the future, this will, I think, become more and more um, kind of elided with actual virtual reality experiences so that perhaps you can in virtual reality you could get closer and closer to that eagle spend more time with it um, a virtual reality is definitely the way forward and there's been quite a lot of research into how far people do get a, an authentic nature experience using virtual reality um, and it was decided that this was mostly by University of Exeter um, people researching uh, Matthew White is the leader there that VR is the most effective way to deliver nature experiences through technology much more effective than anything else. But we're still quite new with VR. Many of us have never experienced it. Mm. But I think that seems to be the, the, the innovation that is really going to impact us in the next five, 10 years. Mm. And actually VR is quite easy to access, isn't it? For people yeah. where you can just buy those, you know, a, a device to hold your mobile phone and then you can download the app and then yeah. they've got different programs that you can stream through that, yeah. um, you know, we did that here it was quite interesting um but i mean I've, you, you see it in art galleries and things and it's i think it's because the device is quite clunky to wear which probably might put people off but yeah i think if once you've experienced it and you actually 
sea you're like you're under the sea or you're swimming with dolphins or or you know like you say you kind of you can just be out in the forest you can do this sort of virtual walk you know I mean I, I think once you've once you've experienced it, it you it kind of it convinces you doesn't it really you know yeah, it just feels more real. I think, you know, a lot of VR is still quite clunky, mm. but it will, it can only get better. Absolutely. And I, I think we'll become very dissatisfied with the, the pretty duck, tidy na nature programs like Blue Planet that we're all so enamored of now. Um, they seem a bit plasticky compared with real life which yeah. you can access through technology. Yeah, and actually when you think about it, the whole sort of biophilic thing, in real life, you are going out and you're walking over mushrooms and you're trying to avoid, yeah. um, you know, tripping over stuff or, you know, the leaves aren't quite perfect and the sort of branches yeah. are falling off or whatever it is, if you're through a forest, for instance. So having real nature and having that real experience would be, um, you say, potentially even more beneficial. Um, yeah. Just as sort of as an update, um, people listening will know that I always ask a question on, um, you know, if you, the sort of magic brush of biophilia. But um, I know you answered before, but I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear what you would like to see now in a kind of in a magic world, people embracing techno biophilia. But what would this magic brush do to people's lives? What would people's lives look like with techno biophilia? I think they would be enriched. Mm -hmm. And I think their awareness would be raised um, of the natural living world, which it's so easy to just walk over and, and not even look at. Um, so my kind of magic brush, if you like, would give everything equal weight so that a worm in the garden is as, as important as a, a pony looking over the fence at you um, and that people pay attention and be mindful of all of those things, um, which hopefully would impact on the way we think about the environment um and it could have very wide-reaching impacts in terms of the way we think about where we live the kind of jobs that we do um and actually it is already at work i think in the many families who um and, and individuals who now want more of a life friendly way of living um, a more balanced nature connected way of living which i think many people during covid have discovered so really my magic brush would just be kind of, um, you know, like those paintings where you brush with water and a painting appears underneath. It would do that really. It would say, look, look at what's right in front of you um, and pay attention to it. So yes, it would be like a magic water brush, I think, and just revealing the world to those of us who move around it without realizing where we are. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.